In 2013, 6D Helmets forever changed the way we think about motorcycle safety helmets. With its patented omnidirectional suspension system to help absorb rotational impacts, the original ATR1 helmet swept through the industry and was received with open arms by riders and racers alike. The new 6D ATR2 and ATR2 Youth are even better than the original and carry a limited three-year warranty and a unique technology that allows the helmet to be rebuilt after most crashes. Visit 6dhelmets.com for more info. All right, so joining me on the phone for this week's edition of the 60 Helmets Kickstart Podcast is JGR Yoshimura Suzuki Factory Racing's Joey Savachi. Um, it's not great pretenses that we're talking to you on, um, especially after these last few weeks where everything had been coming together. So just kind of to give everybody a refresher, Joey, what exactly happened down in Australia two weeks ago? Yeah, so um, just kind of one of those one of those deals. Um we were out in the untimed practice um, and was just kind of finding finding a groove and just kind of, you know, figure out the track and all, all that good stuff and uh, came around and, and had, a, had a had a freak deal um, going on to this uh, triple onto the tabletop and uh, ended up going over the bars, um, landing feet first and uh, broke uh, broke my heel. Um, and my uh, navicular in my foot um, and then had surgery Sunday morning in Australia to, to uh, put an external fixture in just to kind of uh, space things out um, to kind of help with the swelling and then uh, was able to fly home Thursday um, landed in LA Thursday morning at about 9 9 30 and then uh, went straight to to the hospital where uh, I had surgery planned and uh, I think I went they, they brought me back for surgery around three o'clock that afternoon so um, had the, had the surgery done and um, they said everything went really well actually better better than they uh, had anticipated just a lot of the bone had um, was sticking together sticking together better than what they thought it was going to so um, he said he was he was really stoked with how everything turned out and um it, it was best case scenario as far as uh as far as surgery and how everything went and, and rehab and stuff so the fact that they did surgery on sunday instead of like an emergency surgery saturday night and then allowed you to fly home on thursday even though there was a lot of precautions and all that stuff that went with it which you'll get into that's a pretty good sign that it's not a terrible mess down there before you got yeah. even to california yeah, so, so the plan was just to get the surgery Saturday, but um, because it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't life threatening. Um, we were actually set for Saturday night, but they had, uh, they had two car crashes come in, um, that, that stood in front of me. Yeah, I heard um, about that because yeah, they, Henry they Miller was down there. Night. Yeah, Henry Miller was down there, and he was thinking that he was going to see the doctor and the one that he was supposed to see for his shoulder injury that happened right after yours in the time practice. Yep. He, he thought that it was your surgery, but it, yeah, I had heard that there was a, a big mess up at the hospital or a, a big like rush. Yeah, it, they uh, yeah, basically they just ended up having uh, a couple last minute things come up. And uh, so I wasn't able to get it done Saturday, which, you know, in reality didn't really make much of a difference. We, um, we got it done Sunday morning and, um, a lot of back and forth with, uh, insurances and, um, had, had to get a lot of things figured out, um, in order to get home. And honestly, we didn't even know 
um, when we were going to be able to get home because we were waiting on uh, a lot of, like I said, insurance companies and stuff to get back to us. And I ended up just doing it out of pocket um, and, and just getting home. And uh, we, we've booked the tickets Wednesday night at about probably 10, 30, 11 o'clock um, for our Thursday flight out of uh, Melbourne at about, I think, 3 in the afternoon. So it was me, excuse me, it was my wife and I, um, and then I had a aviator nurse. Um, so basically I hired someone to, to fly with me to keep me on top of all the medicines, um, to constantly check, um, to constantly check the foot, make sure that there wasn't any, uh, you know, there was nothing going on, no blood clotting and stuff. Um, and yeah, it, uh, you know, we, we, we got the hard part out of the way, which was getting from Australia to here. And, um, you know, once we, once we landed, it was, it was a big relief for me just to be back in the States. Um, and then obviously going to, uh, Dr. Thordeson, uh, up in LA who I've heard a lot of really, really good stuff on. And, um, I, I had a lot of faith in him, um, to kind of be, be my guy to, to, to get me back to as close to a hundred percent as, as we're going to be able to be with this injury. Um, and, you know, and then obviously he, uh, was actually in between surgeries and, and he met with, uh, he met with us in like a conference room. And undid the wrapping on the external fixture, looked at it, and made sure the swelling wasn't too bad. And was basically it was like, yeah, no, it looks good. We can do surgery today. I'll call the nurses. We'll get you back. And uh, very, very confident, which is obviously makes me feel better. And then, um, you know, coming out of surgery, he was he was stoked with how everything went. So, I mean, all in all, like obviously, I would uh, I would love to not be in this position, um, but all things considered being in this position i was um i'm stoked with how well and um how upbeat everyone has been and and how well things have gone so i was at the track on saturday when everything happened and uh you had asked to talk to myrtle your agent and i was one of the only people in the room that had his phone number so used my phone to call him back in the states and everything like when i was in that little medical unit that was underneath the track like everything was going okay, as good as it could be. You were in pretty obvious pain, and JH, Ricky's guy, and your old guy, everything was going around, and and they were making sure everything was taken care of. So at the time, it didn't seem too bad. But then I heard later on that there was a lot of blood from like a cut on the bottom of your foot. So can you clarify for everybody what exactly happened after you left the track and after the crash happened? Yeah. So um, yeah, I wasn't uh, in the greatest spot mentally at that time i was in a lot of pain i wanted to i wanted to fight just about everyone and anyone who who got near my foot but um yeah so basically what happened was just from from the impact um going at such a high speed and and such force that um basically my foot kind of exploded on the bottom in in a sense not like not bad but basically it's like you take a grape and if you step on the grape really lightly or, or put it between your fingers and squeeze and squeeze and squeeze pretty soon that grape is going to bust um you know and that's basically that's basically what happened to my foot um you know so from impact and everything you know my foot could only take so much pressure um and so much impact before it finally just had to kind of release so um, so there was a little bit of uh of a hole um on the bottom of my foot that that uh that's that's where the blood was coming from um originally they, th- they thought compound and stuff but um you know as we later found out um that definitely was not the case it was just uh you know nowhere for the 
the impact to release anymore besides through my foot. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, all in all, not a sponsor plug, but I think Alpine Star, I think their boot is, is incredible. And, um, you know, I, I think it very easily could have been, could have been a lot worse than what it was. Um, you know, so, so the boot did, did its job and, um, yeah, it was, it was a minor cut and we did bleed a little bit, but, uh, yeah, we got that part handled. Kind of seeing how everything went when you crashed and everything and good on Ricky, who's a close friend of yours because he stopped at the face of the jump and made sure that nobody else was jumping by until the medics got to you and everything. The early fear was that it was like a, a femur break from where you were grabbing your leg and then it got lower when you grabbed the bottom part of your leg, and then finally we all realized it was your ankle. Did you realize it was your heel at that time, or did it take longer? Um, it's tough because initially, right away, I almost feel like I blacked out, to be honest. like I know I didn't, but the pain was so bad right away that basically from my knee down, I could, I could hardly feel anything. There was so much pain. So I knew it was, it was lower. Um, and it probably took me, I mean, by the time Ricky, because I, I think Ricky rolled up next to me after he stopped everyone. I mean, so however long it took him to get there, maybe a couple, two minutes or so, like not even, I knew right away it was ankle. I pretty much, JH walked up to me and asked if what was hurt. And I told him right away, I said, dude, my ankle's ruined. Um, and uh i thought it was ankle and then obviously come to find out it was more heel but um i knew it was it was low part of of the leg i knew it wasn't the uh tip fib just because of how low um the pain was and uh it was just like i said one of those deals where at first i wasn't sure right away because there was so much pain but it didn't take me very long to kind of um to figure out that you know it was definitely lower 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 leg i watched him um me and tom drenette watched them put you on the stretcher and then take you out of the stadium and they gave you this green thing to put in your mouth and the tom, green whistle dude yeah. tom and i had never seen that thing before and the guy told us it was like powdered morphine or something yeah it, it's like so that's their thing over here is uh they call it the green whistle and i don't know exactly what it is to be completely honest with you um honestly like this injury by far is the worst pain I've ever been in in my entire life when it happened. So I, I don't think it was really a great uh, comparison, but dude, I was puffing on that thing. Like I couldn't, I was inhaling as much as I possibly could of that thing. And it just didn't, it didn't feel like it was doing anything. Um, and come to find out later i guess you're supposed to you're supposed to take a really big inhale and then hold it in your lungs for as long as possible but um i mean either way it, it is supposed to be equivalent of like some type of morphine um that's like portable i guess and and um via oral i guess um but yeah the, the green whistle is pretty famous down there they always anyone any of the australians who who've gotten hurt over there or who've come over here and talked about getting hurt they always talk about the green whistle. Have you ever had the green whistle? And uh, I'm sure if I wasn't in such serious pain, it, it probably would have taken the edge off and, and been a little bit, um, been a, a little bit less painful. But all things considered, I don't think anything at that point. I was ready for someone to punch me in the side of the head and knock me out. To be honest, like just so I didn't have to deal with it. Um, but yeah, the, the green whistle, man. So that's famous. Yeah. When when we saw what they were doing and then what they told us, we're like, yo, there is no way that thing can come to the United States because <laughs> there is uh, no, zero no chance. Way. Um, yeah, no way. So if you can like take me back through 
the time after the crash like obviously we know when you guys go down and do those races overseas it's not not in every instance are you on a full factory bike or the bike that you race you know anaheim one or anything with so it was a borrowed bike with some some key parts and things like that and like you said it's a freak accident it's nothing that went catastrophically wrong it's just things that happen um further back after that though how did all of the things come together to get Megan down to Australia and for you to go about everything? Because for the most part, you were down there by yourself. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of like a, that was a rush thing too, because she, she got there Tuesday. So she flew out Sunday, um, got a flight late Sunday afternoon and then, uh, got to Australia Tuesday morning ish, I think. And then obviously we left Thursday. So she was only there for basically like a day and a half. Um, but, you know, she knew that, uh, you know, there were so many people coming in talking to me about, you know, surgeries and what I needed to do. And then, you know, then they started getting insurances involved and, and who to call. And I'm like, dude, you guys don't understand. Like, I'm, I'm like high on medicine. Like, I'm on pain pills. Like, you, you, you guys don't understand. You're talking to me and I'm not going to remember any of this conversation. And I'm not the guy you need to be talking to. Like, to get things handled in a, in, in a short amount of time, I needed someone who could get shit handled and who was in their right mind. And I wasn't that person. And, you know, like, so they come in and they talk to me and I'm like, I don't know. So then I called my, I call either Megan or my mom. I'm like, Hey, talk to these people, you know? Then so then it's like, then you're adding more people into the circle. And then finally Megan was just like, dude, I'm just going to fly out there and we're going to get things handled. We're going to try to get home as soon as possible. And, and like I said earlier, like I, we really didn't know when we were going to be home because we were still waiting on, on approval from things. And finally, dude, it was like, I finally just put my, my good foot down and was like, Hey, like, I'm not doing this. Like I'll pay out of pocket and we'll figure it out later. Like if we get reimbursed, um, and that's awesome. But if not, this is the risk that I'm willing to take, um, you know, to, to open the wallet and and to get myself home because I, I just, I knew I needed to get to California and that's, and, and the doctor had already agreed, already seen the CT scans and seen everything and was like, I can fix you. Like I can fix you really well. And you know, you'll never be yet that ankle or your heel will never be, um, what it once was, but I can get it really close. And, you know, he had a lot of faith and, uh, and he believed in, in what he was doing. And so for me, I'm like, dude, I got to get home. And I didn't, I didn't care anymore. Megan got there and finally like, you're still dealing with insurances and stuff. And I finally was just like, Hey, I don't care anymore. Call who we need to call and let's get this set up and let's go. And, you know, like I said, the, the aviator nurse came in, uh, Wednesday evening. And, uh, first thing, you know, he said, Hey, we got something maybe Saturday or Sunday. And I said, Hey, there's a flight tomorrow at three o'clock. Can you make that? And he kind of like, he thought, didn't think I was serious. He kind of laughed and he's like, ah, I don't, I don't think, you know, and it kind of played it off. And then, uh, we talked about it, talked about it. And, uh, he's like, yeah, you know, between Qantas and, and Virgin Australia, he's like, I'm, I have really good relationships with people pretty high up there because, you know, this is, this is what this guy does for a living mm-hmm. is, is, is this especially. So, um, he's like, I, I have really good relationship with these, with these companies. And, you know, like if it's Virgin Australia, we can get it handled right away. And I'm like, perfect. I because said, you're a Delta tomorrow. guy. Yep. And I said, and there's a flight tomorrow. And Megan was like, no, seriously, there's a flight tomorrow. Like, can you do that? And he's like, Is, are there enough seats? And I'm like, dude, I already looked. Like, there's already, there's three first class seats. Like, we're set. Like, if you can say right now you're in, the, I'm buying the tickets right now. We're doing it. And like I said, we ended up buying like 11.45 that night. And uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a journey. But, 
um man we got here safe and uh yeah the, the worst is, is behind us on to the doctor you have in the united states is that one of the people that through the Wasserman group that they had a direct connection to? Because like when Ken got hurt with his arm, they flew him to Vail. When J-Mark gets hurt and he needs his back cleaned up for a second time when the first surgery doesn't go well, he goes to Vail and goes to the Stedman Clinic too. Is this another one of those guys that's in their network? No. So um, actually Osho um, kind of knew of him um, a little bit, but Dr. Uh, Kramer, Sen Kramer and Warren Kramer, the two brothers out here who specialize in the one does knees. Um, and that's who did Johnny's surgery. Um, and he, Johnny basically got a hold of him and was like, Hey, like, you know, this is the situation we're in. Um, you know, you're the best at what you do with knees out here. Do you recommend somebody out here or do you know of someone anywhere who's, who specializes in heels and feet? And, uh, so between between Kramer and, and Johnny and uh, a little bit of back and forth, they uh, he recommended Dr. Thordeson and um, you know I, I did the research and and looked at, looked him up like I said and he's got a lot of uh, very um, very high reviews and a lot of satisfied customers and, uh, and and you know the crazy thing is too like like I, I if I call you know, like if I were to call the office right now, like they'll put me on a direct line to him, you know, like, whereas there's a lot of doctors who, yeah, talk to a nurse and then the nurse has got to call him. And then it takes a while to get back. Like he's hands on, like, Hey, answers the phone. What's up? What do you need? Like, are you good? And, and for me like that, that's big because my doctor at home in Tallahassee, Dr. Berg, um, you know, he's worked on basically everything I've ever done almost my whole life. And, you know, we're at such a friend level, like I have a cell phone and, and he's the same way. Like, Anytime I need something, I can call him. Hey, like, what do you think? Can I get in? I need an x-ray on this or, you know, I tweak this and it's like right away I can get in. And so there's a lot of hands-on involved with that. And and to me, that's appealing because that means that they, you know, they care um, outside of just fixing you. You know, they want to make sure that you're good and, and that you are happy. And um, Dr. Thordeson has been the same way. He's been, he's been awesome and um, been very very helpful with making sure that I'm taken care of and, uh, you know, we're, we're in the least amount of pain as possible. Take me back through that flight, having just done that flight last week. I mean, that's a long haul, probably, what, 14 and a half hours back from Melbourne to L.A. So yep. what is the whole process like for you going through that? Because with anybody they're worried about, you know, the pressure on your foot, especially as you had what you said, like that burst on the bottom of it, was it a stressful deal or did you just think like, hey, man, if we've gotten it this far, we're good? I basically told myself, like, dude, I'll, I'll pass out on the plane before I even think about not doing this, you know. And, like, once we got approved and, um, you know, we got the airlines to approve everything, I'm like, dude, I'm doing it. Like, I, I've been in a lot of pain and, and I'll, I'll go to where, I, to where I black out from pain. Like, I, I was 100% committed to getting home and I didn't care what the, what cost that came at. Um, you know, as, as long as it was under medic uh, supervision and it was safe, you know, I, I didn't care what I had to do. And, um, you know, between the blood thinners that, that he was giving me the anticoagulants, um, uh, the pain medicines, and, you know, he was constantly taking my blood pressure, um, and just, you know, just making sure that we kept that leg as high as we could, because for most people, you know, most people might not know, but being in first class, you have a bed, but, you know, you don't have a lot of leg room because of the surrounding, um, it's like the TV where the desk is in front of you or the pullout is to where you, uh, this pullout tray with the food. So like 
three for for a normal person with good feet. You know, you have a little bit of room, but I had an external fixture, so I had things sticking out the side of my foot probably four six inches. You know, so I didn't really have a lot of room to move around. So I was pretty much stuck um, in, in one position, and and the airlines were very generous about helping us out as far as you know, letting me stay back as as long as possible before having to bring my chair up before we landed. Um, you know, I, I had to, they, they put a catheter in me before we left the hospital. That way I didn't have to get up and try to go to the bathroom. Um, you know, so it was, uh, it was definitely a very methodical uh, plan that, you know, was very planned out from the very beginning and, and hour by hour, you know, we had, we had our goals and everything that we were doing. So yeah, it was a long flight, but you know, to be honest, like it was such a, such a short flight in my mind because I got, I was going back home, you know, like, so for me mentally, I was like, I'm going home and I'm, I'm going to be in a better place. And so for me, like that helped that, that 14 hours on that plane go by, um, go by fast. And then obviously I got to sleep a little bit. I couldn't sleep much more than about two or three hours at a time, but, um, being, you know, being in the position I was in, I was just so grateful to be going home and it, uh, it definitely made it go by faster. I reached out to Megan on Saturday night just to let her know, like, hey, if you guys need anything, I'm going to be down in Australia for a little bit longer. Because I can only imagine how it is to be that far away and on your own. And, uh, you know, Ellie Reed stepped in and helped you out a little bit there. It was pretty cool to see how the entire paddock of Americans that were there did what they could to make sure that you were okay. That was awesome. Um, sorry, I'm probably just eating. But, um... Oh, no, dude. If you're getting off pain pills, like, it's good that you got an appetite at all. It, uh, dude, it was awesome. And, and that's why I told Megan, I, I was laughing. I said, it's funny that, you know, like when us males yell, it's like, uh, yeah, it's, it's whatever. But when a female yells or something about when a female gets angry, like it just, it's just so much more, there's so much more of a meaning behind it. And, um, you know, like they were trying to get my boot off at the, at this track, um, you know, and I was yelling at them to leave the boot or if you're gonna take the boot, cut the boot off. Right. And like, yelling and yelling and screaming and and ellie finally had enough dude she stepped in and she like she put her foot down and she was like you're not touching the boot and if you're touching the boot cut the boot off that's the end of the story and like everyone like looked around at her and they kind of like uh all right and like they all turned around and like went back to doing their thing you know and it was just it was nice to have um support there too you know like that that's being there on your own stuff but obviously this, the situation wasn't ideal, but to have the group of people, you know, between Ellie and JH and, um, you know, Ricky and, and, and everyone, you know, to swing by the hospital or, or to be there while still the track trying to get transported, like it, you know, it meant a lot and uh, definitely made it, uh, made, makes it a little bit, um, not more forgiving, but it definitely makes it memorable. So you said the other day in your Instagram story update, like four to six weeks, but until you can do weight bearing, do you have a full time frame for recovery? Because before we started the podcast, you said you have a checkup on Monday too. Yeah. So no, um, I go Monday, get the stitches out. Um, and then in four weeks I get the pins. I know, babe. <laughs> Sorry, I get, she thinks I'm not capable. Um, in four weeks, I'll get the pins pulled. So I have external pins or, or the end of the pins in my foot that basically will unscrew and pull the pins out, which sounds gnarly, but he told me that the stitches was more uncomfortable than that. And then basically that's at four weeks. 
and then I can kind of start a little bit of range of motion stuff. And then at eight weeks, um, I'll be able to start doing some weight bearing stuff. So, I mean, obviously it just depends if things go, um, according to plan and things heal fast and maybe we can start doing weight bearing stuff at six weeks or seven weeks. Um, you know, at that point, it's almost worth it just to go the full eight weeks, just to not take, uh, to take any chances because, you know, we've, we've been so lucky, um, so far with surgery and, and how, how, like I told you, the bones have held together and, um, and everything that it's just, it's not worth it at this point to save an extra week or two, um, to possibly delay our, our, our comeback. So, um, you know, right now we're, we're playing it, uh, day by day and, and I'll know more once I go back to the doctor Monday and, and see him. But, um, you know, four weeks, the pins are out, um, eight weeks, a little bit of weight, weight stuff. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll take it from there. Eight weeks would be middle of February if I think, right? End of January. End of January. At that point, and then you still have all the other stuff you have to do, is it possible? Like, do you plan on being on in the Supercross series at all this year, or are you just going to wait until the Nationals? Um, That's tough. I think I think if things go well, I absolutely want to be back to Supercross. Um, but uh, it, it's just so far away, and there's so much unknown, you know, like it's hard to give an answer. But I think... If things go according to plan and, you know, by the end of January, I'm starting to um, do some weight bearing stuff, then maybe middle of March, end of March, uh, you know, maybe that could be like the, the, the goal to shoot for is when I come back. I, I don't even know what race that would be or or anything, but, you know, I think uh, end of end of March-ish would be, would be a goal and... Um, obviously if things go faster than before that, and if things take a little bit longer then you know, we'll, we'll need to, uh, evaluate once we get to that point. But, um, you know, right now I'm just, I'm making, banking everything off of being, um, on time, not, not late, not early, just on time. And, um, so yeah, if, 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 if everything goes according to plan, I a hundred percent want to be back to Supercross. It's just a matter of what round, you know, how much time am I going to want on the bike before I get back and uh, and all that good stuff. Hey, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we have a couple more questions with Joey just about his recovery and how everything else is going. So set through these, come back, you'll hear way more. Out here, on the edge, failure is no option. Here, you don't compromise. Off-road, on-road, on the track, off the grid. Sunstar sprockets and brake discs come installed in more motorcycles and all-terrain vehicles than any other in the world, period. The engineers who design your bike trust and spec Sunstar for the same reason you should. Because here, on the edge, failure is no option. Sunstar, number one in sprockets and brake discs. Hey everyone, it's Marvin Miskin from the Red Bull KTM Racing Team. Right now, KTM is making it easier than ever to get out and ride. Head to your local KTM Auto Rise dealer to take advantage of limited time offer on qualified dirt, street, adventure, and naked models, or check out KTM.com to learn more today. Hi, this is 250 Supercross Champion Chase Sexton of the Geico Hana team. To get the most performance out of your motocross bike, make sure you're using the Yoshimura exhaust systems. Visit Yosh at yoshimura-rd.com to see their wide line of slip-ons and complete systems for your bike today. Now enjoy the Swap Moto Live Kickstart podcast. 
Writers like Justin Cooper, Dylan Ferrandis, Eli Tomac, Adam Entingnap, Josh Hansen, and more partner with Works Chassis Lab for engine mounts and other special parts to add comfort to and enhance the handling characteristics of their bikes. With championships and race wins to prove it, Works Chassis Lab Parts provides the winning edge. Visit WorksChassisLab.com for more information. In 2013, 6D Helmets forever changed the way we think about motorcycle safety helmets. With its patented omnidirectional suspension system to help absorb rotational impacts, the original ATR1 helmet swept through the industry and was received with open arms by riders and racers alike. The new 6D ATR2 and ATR2U are even better than the original and carry a limited three-year warranty and a unique technology that allows the helmet to be rebuilt after most crashes. Visit 6dhelmets.com for more info. Hey, it's Will Hahn, team manager of the Monster Energy Star Racing Yamaha team. Works Connection has been building the best aluminum parts in motocross for over 30 years. From the awesome Pro Launch Start device to their original axle blocks. Works Connection parts are designed and produced in California, and we are proud to use them on our factory race bikes in Supercross and Motocross. Check them out at worksconnection.com. Thanks for setting through the commercials now that we're back. Hey, Joy, one thing that I've seen a lot of people ask about like fans uh especially as soon as you got hurt and the one thing that i want your opinion on is why do you guys go do these overseas races at all i mean there is a high risk versus reward to them uh, we've seen in your instance now weston pike in the past other guys do you you know though like why you went down there do you see like hey man there was a lot that could have been gained and this is just something that i needed to risk maybe to have happen yeah, hundred percent. I think you look at look at someone like Brayton. You know, he races the whole series down there. He went straight to Geneva. He just won Geneva. Um, I, I think you're going to see Jason Anderson do really well um, early on because you know, like, yeah, it's only a couple races, and they might not be on quote AMA Supercross um, tracks, but it's just to getting time on the bike and and getting race conditions in you know it, it might not be the equivalent race conditions that you're going to see over here but you still get racing under your belt and you still get more of a chance to adapt and understand what the bike does when the track gets dry and if the track gets edgy what does the bike do you know where can the bike be better and um i think there's a lot to gain from it and yeah of course there's i mean there's a lot to there's a lot to lose as well, but dude, there's a lot to lose preseason testing. You know, like if people don't understand, like, dude, last year at the start of December, I already had 2000 laps under my belt, you know? So like, you think 2000 laps on a supercross track that you don't think there's risk involved in that, you know, like at, at what point are you, are you, uh, going against the odds and, you know, like at what point are you running the risk? of doing too many laps versus then the risk versus reward, you know, like what's the difference between, I don't know, 1500 laps and 2000. I mean, it's a good bit, but then once you get past 2000, you know, like what, what really, what's the advantage past 2000? It's just, it's, it's tough because there's, there's just as much, if not more risk involved of the four days a week off season grind, because you're just going nonstop 50 laps a day, four days a week for for two plus months on end you know and so it's like i get that people are, are always like oh it's so stupid to go do these races then you end up hurt yeah but then there's also a lot of times where you don't end up hurt and you get good seat time and you learn more about the bike and it's just like okay so you go to these races and you do the one-time practice and you do the heat race the super pole and you do the 
the main event or, or the three a lap main events. Okay. So maybe you do 40 laps that whole day, right? It's like, dude, 40 laps. I mean, you look at 40 laps in the big scale of things. It's nothing compared to 1500 or 2000 laps. So yeah, is it, is it a different country? Are you on not the same bike? And is there a lot of different things? Yeah, of course. But it's just, that's just the risk involved, dude. And it's like, you know, as, as quickly as people are like, Oh, those races are dumb. And you know, you could get hurt. You could also show up to a one and get hurt in practice. Mm-hmm. And then guess what? And then, then you're out for, for who knows how long and you didn't even get to you know like you could have done these overseas races and maybe you could have benefited from those learned and maybe not put yourself in that position that got you hurt and it's just i get it you know like i understand their side too like they, they want to see a healthy field and they want to see everyone racing and it's unfortunate when when riders get hurt um you know not during our during you know our, our ama series but they just got to understand that you know, we're just trying to get seat time in and, and learn more about the bike and just, um, one of the big things too is experience, man. Like you, you got to live and, and, uh, enjoy what you do. And it, it, it is refreshing to go to those races and to hang out with people that you wouldn't necessarily hang out with and have a different vibe. And, you know, that's like, that's one of the pluses is, you know, you go there and, and you want to win, but you know, like it's, it's not the end of the world if you don't. And, you know, the, the most important thing about going to those races is getting seat time and, and learning. And um, that's what people just got to realize that, you know, there's a risk every day we ride the bike. And um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's any higher um, over there than it is over here. You know, I think if anything, it's the same. And, and sometimes it's probably higher over here because the tracks over here are probably gnarlier and they get broken down worse than they do over there. Um, it's just, like I said, it's a part of it. And you can't you can't win, you know, it's, it's a lose lose because if you go over there and you do well and, and God forbid you go to a one and, and you don't do well, people are like, Oh, well, all that overseas stuff, you know, obviously didn't pay off. Right. And then let's say you go over the seas races and God forbid you get hurt. Like I did. Then people are like, Oh, well, then you can't even race the start of the series. So it wasn't any good. So yeah, it's like, you're damned if you do. And you're damned if you don't. Exactly. It's a lose lose. And it's just one of those situations where people got to understand that, um, it just is what it is and if they maybe put themselves in our position and understood it maybe a little bit more maybe they'd they'd see the the benefits to it and there's money to be made and all the things that go along with it too because i mean short career window pretty good payday to go one day or two days of racing a couple days of travel all that um when you and i talked in paris over a month ago the jgr deal wasn't signed it got signed on friday afternoon and all of those things. But at that time, JGR was like, yo, we're going to support you through these three races, Paris, New Zealand, and Australia. Clearly, despite everything that they've gone through in the last year with Weston's injury, they have no reservations about one of their guys going overseas and doing these races either. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, they understand too, like they're understanding and they see the benefits that can come from it. Um, and I think more, more me than probably anyone else because it was a new bike um it was a bike that that i haven't been on and um it was tires i've never been on and it was a lot of first times so to get the max amount of time that that i could um on the motorcycle before we before we got to a1 was was very ideal um you know and and for them to understand that i think was awesome because uh they, you know, they got it. They understood from the rider's side that, hey, like, I want to go race these races because I want to get as much seat time in as possible. 
and understand the bike as much as possible. That way, come January when we go racing, like I'm up to date and I know, hey, this track's a little slippery. It's it's kind of like New Zealand was, and we struggled in this area. This is how we can fix it, you know. And it's just having those notes for for future references. When we talked in Paris, and you even said this thing the other day down in Australia, like it's been cool that more people have come out and talked to you in these last few months. And it seems like the fans are a little bit more appreciative of who you are um, ever since August to now. And you've said like, when we talked on the last podcast, it's hard for you to put yourself out there so much because people always have something negative to say, but then you did the vlogs. So you showed your trip to Italy. The one to France is coming. I would think New Zealand and Australia will come out soon too. Um, How's it been for you in these last few weeks to see the fans come around so much? Yeah, I mean, it feels good, dude. Like I said, for, for a minute there, and um, it was, uh, I was, I guess I was the chosen one. I was the one that I think people just was like, hey, like, let's gang up on this guy and let's just, let's just uh, comment negative things on his posts all the time. And like, you know, like he, he's our, he's our punching bag. And, you know, it is what it is. It's just, it's nice to see that people understand, like, I am trying to, uh, to fix, um, you know to fix the flaws and you know no one's perfect and um you know along the way i i did get very uh non-emotional with things and and that's just because of circumstances and uh i, I stopped i stopped truly being myself and started trying to just be the middleman to where you know people couldn't not like me and people couldn't like me you know like i just wanted to play the middle ground and you're just there um, I was just there and, and, you know, we, we talked about, I did a podcast in Australia and with Jet Lawrence and, you know, and I talked about that and, uh, you know, him being 16 and being a kid, like basically along the way, like that's where I've gotten lost. And that would be my advice is don't ever stop being yourself, you know, because the people who, who enjoy you for you are going to enjoy you for you, regardless of if you're winning or not. And, you know, the the people who don't enjoy you, you know, that's their loss. They're, they're, they're not a fan, but, you shouldn't change your personality. You shouldn't change who you are because of because of the naysayers on the internet, or or because of you know this guy said this, and that's and that, that definitely was some of it along the way. I just kind of got caught up in it and um, stopped stopped being who I wanted to be and started caring too much. And um, you know that's something that it's taken me a while, and I'm and it's going to take me a while too. You know, like I've come a decent amount of ways. Um, in the last probably six months or so, but I still have a long way to go, um, you know, to be back to, to really like the carefree who I was, um, when I was younger and back in the vine days and, you know, like really enjoyed who I was and didn't care what people thought. And, and, um, you know, it's taken me a while and, um, I'm working on it and, you know, just at least for people to see that I'm working on it and to acknowledge that it's not easy for me is, uh, I'm just glad that they that they at least get it and understand and and know that um you know like I, I'm trying I really am and um I I I contemplated not even putting out the first vlog because I was so bad in my mind so rough but yeah because you're yeah, learning and, and learning and I'd never done that and like I'm a really shy person so having the camera out dude like it just there was a lot of things that I didn't want to do that I made myself do that looking back on it, I'm glad I did because I feel better about it. And yeah, it's not, it's not a very exciting vlog by any means, but you know, like I also had some camera issues. So a lot of auto focusing issues that, that I dealt with for Italy. Um, and I fixed it for Paris and, um, you know, and then obviously going to Paris and, and, 
being around the dirt bike environment. So I'll be, I'm a little bit more, uh, loose about the deal. And then obviously going to New Zealand, Jason and Tom and being around Ricky and like Reed and all those guys. So they definitely get better. Um, and, and they will continue to get better. And, you know, and my, my plan is, is to vlog, um, this whole recovery process and to kind of pr- bring people along with me just to see, you know, where we're starting and, and basically up to the point where we get back to racing. And, uh, like I said, I have a long way to go, but I do believe that, uh, you know, when it's all said and done, it'll, it'll definitely be worth it. Sounds good, bud. Uh, Anaheim one, will you be there signing autographs and everything? Probably not. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure yet. It just depends on, on how, uh, how the ankle is or the heel and uh really i just yeah i don't know i might be though because a month will be right around that time um to get the pins pulled so yeah i might be i, I don't know yet i'll uh, if i go i'll make sure to let let the uh, social media world know cool thanks for getting on the phone with us dude it's good to hear that for how bad it is it's not as bad as it could be it makes not getting your suitcase that thursday and friday kind of pale in comparison but no big time big time but yeah, yeah, hey, always appreciate getting on the phone with you. Glad to see everything's coming around. Um, as soon as you get that next vlog posted, we'll get it posted on the site. Ten four, man. I appreciate. It. Thanks for having me. Thanks, buddy.